John's Gospel, chapter 6, but it is going to take us a few minutes to go there. We're actually going to start in Numbers, chapter 11. Uh, we have been going through, well, actually, we just started um, a series uh, on the I am statements of Jesus. And we began last week with Jesus making probably one of the most audacious claims of deity when he said, before Abraham was, I am. And that was sort of the same language that that burning bush used, if you remember. Um, if you weren't here last week, just go and listen online. So we're continuing on with these seven I am statements. And... This is going to seem like an impossible task because we're going to go through quite a bit of scripture. Um, You hear the words, John 6, that I am the bread of life or eat my flesh and drink my blood. And you're thinking, what in the world are we about to read? So I'm saying Numbers 11 because context is going to be really important. Um, Lest you just read one single verse and you're like, whoa, Jesus said drink. Drink his blood, eat my flesh. So we're all vampires and we've just started an occult. And um, that is not the point of that. So we have this thing in uh, the church, in theology, what we call hermeneutics. And what that is, is just we want to get in the mind of the person writing this. And so that's what I want to do uh, this morning. So let me kind of set this up in Numbers chapter 11. In fact, every week, probably count on and bank on as going to some Old Testament um, to kind of help us get our minds around what Jesus is saying. Um, so if you think Old Testament's boring, uh, you just ain't reading it right, right? I mean, the Old Testament got some funny stuff and some good stuff, some R-rated stuff, some crazy things happening in it. And it's got a lot of folks who complain a lot. Doesn't sound like anybody you know, right? Maybe, okay. Some of you are like, yeah, you don't know my spouse, bro. Or my kids. So as soon as they're out on the journey, the Israelites have been led out of captivity. Uh, God has used Moses to do that. And as soon as they get out on the journey, this is kind of what happens. They have seen the hand of God move mightily. And I would suggest probably like you and I have never seen, I mean, you guys seen uh, waters part before? I have need, I, yeah. Yeah, that'd be viral if that happened. Um, So they've seen a lot. God do so much for them. And we're going to see in Numbers chapter 11 where it really turns quickly. And they have this thing and their big complaint is, God, we're not hungry. We're hangry. You ever been hangry before? You know what I mean by that? Like you're both hungry and angry about it right? Your stomach's growling. And this sermon is going to be so awesome right around 1145, because that's when they start popping the popcorn. And so we're talking about bread and getting like fish and all this kind of stuff. And then that popcorn is only going to add an illustration to this sermon. So just hang on to your seats. So they're in the presence of God and God is with them. And they just, they're just like, you know, I'm hungry. God gives them manna. And they're like, no, like I'm tired of the bread. I want some meat. 
And listen to what they say. I'm only going to read just a few verses uh, just so we can kind of wrap our minds around what's happening. These are the children of Israel who just been led out of captivity. And so in verse four of Numbers chapter 11, it says, now the rabble or a mob that was among them had a strong craving. I don't know if this is like pregnant people or just like some angry old men. I don't know what's going on. But anyway, and the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing. The cucumbers, the melons, the le- this is in the Bible, the leeks the onions, the garlic, but now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Do you know what they're saying in this complaint? God, you are a failure. Did God fail them though? No, he's providing exactly what they need. And I think this is gonna be an interesting thing. This is not what they want. You know, old man Jenkins comes out the crowd and he's like, where's the crab cakes? Like, where's the fish filet, Mo? You've let it like, because, you know, despite being slavery was like this horrid, wretched thing we were going through. At least we had fish. (laughs) Because he might not see the, how nutty these people are getting. Maybe it's because they're wandering around in the heat and the heat's getting to their head, but they would rather go back to slavery and captivity in exchange for a dumb fish fillet. In exchange for, let me have garlic. Can I get some more of those onions? God's providing for them. And so the rest of the story goes, Moses gets angry. I mean, like Moses is just like, I'm done with these people. They do nothing but complain. God, I was minding my own business with my father-in-law. And so then you come to me, talk to me through some weird bush. I go out, lead them out captivity. And all they do is complain. I give up. God's response to Moses is like, Moses, right? Who led them out of Egypt? Was it, was it you? No, it was me. Who heard the cry of the people? Was it you? No, it was me. I've got this. I've got this. These people were laying this heavy burden on them and all they did was just complain. This struggle of Israel, which funny, that's how Israel translates as struggle continues on through the history. And so in John chapter six, you can go ahead and turn there. Jesus is about to give an incredibly long sermon. So if I preach over 30 minutes, I'm just trying to be more like Jesus. Okay. So if you've got a problem with it, take it up with him. And so let me remind us of what's happening and what just happened right before Jesus is going to give this audacious claim. Jesus in John chapter 6, in the very first part of it, he had just fed tw- up to 12,000 people. What did he feed them? Fish and bread, right? 
It's near Pentecost. And for them, they've been praying that they'd have that manna from heaven come down, right? And this is what we've been waiting for. We've been longing for this. But they're about to seize him up, take him as king. But Jesus goes incognito and ninja style and he retreats. Then if you'll remember right after this, Jesus walks on water. And the people ask him, like when he gets to land, like, whoa, how'd you get here? And that's all they can ask. So here's a connection for us from Numbers 11 and the whole story of Moses. This is during Passover. And remember how Passover began, right? Death angel was going to go over the doors of every person. But if you had the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, it passed over. If you remember in verse five, Jesus asked who's going to feed these people, not because he didn't know, right? It's, it's like Moses' question to God, can we get some food? There's gonna be some parallels here. In verse 14, they perceived Jesus was a prophet, like, uh, anybody wanna take a stab at it? Moses, thank you, I heard you whisper it. Verse 16, Jesus is demonstrating God's power over the waters and winds. Wonder where we've seen that before. You wanna take another stab at it? Red Sea, okay, departing waters. And the people in John 6 are like, really? Are you saying you're really God? And it sounds just like what? The grumbling people of Israel. So we're gonna pick it up in Jesus's sermon and we're gonna take it quite a bit before we dice this apart. And so then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they said to him, sir, give us this bread already. And Jesus said to them, "Um, so I am the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that come down from heaven. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. Again, Jesus goes repetition mode. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that you, so that one may eat of it and will not die. I'm the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will, for, 
he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. A very shocking day toward the end of the Galilean ministry of Jesus as he taught these Jewish people in the synagogue of the Capernaum. The most compelling statement around which all of this is that I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Jesus says this in verse 32. He says this in verse 33, and he repeats himself again in verse 48. This is, by the way, one of these great I am statements that we're talking about in which the Lord takes the tetragrammaton, it's one of those really fancy words, Yahweh, which is the verb to be. Again, when God speaks to Moses in the burning bush, that I will be who I will be. And so Jesus is describing and he's giving just a little bit more description of who that I will be, who I will be. And Jesus is explaining it a little bit more. So I will be the what? The bread of life. He goes on to say that I am the good shepherd. I am the vine. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the resurrection and the life. And what Jesus is doing here is he wants it to be very clear to these people that there's no mistake in who Jesus is saying that he is. Jesus is equating himself with God. He's not saying that he's some separate person that's been created. No, I, that bread that they were longing for, I'm, I'm here. I'm the bread of life. I've been, and you get this sense that this has been an eternal bread that was there from the beginning with God, that God sent this bread to them. But there's some arrogance within the Jews, right? Prove it. Give us a sign. Even though he just, remember, walked on water. Even though he literally just told waves and winds to stop. Even though he just took a piece of bread and a few fish and multiplied it and fed 12,000 people. And yet, what do they ask? Oh, yeah, okay. Well, give me just one more sign, Jesus. Isn't that us? Yeah, God, I know, but Lord, if you could just do this one more thing for me, if you could just perform this miracle, then I know you would believe. There's a problem and a tragedy with the children of Israel and the Jewish people that Jesus talks to all the time. They're always chasing after Jesus for not who he is, but for what he can do. Sadly, nothing really has changed in the Christian world. Because so many times we chase after, what can Jesus do for me today? And we wake up with that thought, what can God do for me today? Let me get out my list. Like Jesus is our bellhop or our genie in the bottle. Because if he could just do this one thing for me, then I would, I, I, I'd be convinced. I'd follow him all the rest of my days, Lord, I promise. And they're after this sign and so they, they start like, every time uh, Jesus starts teaching these arrogant Jewish people, they always bring up where he's from. They're like, well, we know where you're from. You are from Bethlehem. 
like a population 400. Ain't nothing good coming out of Bethlehem. You know the irony is? In Hebrew, what Bethlehem means, it translates as house of bread. They just don't see it yet. They're bringing up where he comes from, which is the house of bread. When you say house of bread, you're like, this is where it all started, right? This is where it began. That's when we say house of bread or house of something. And so they're bringing up the very fact that they just can't see because they're so blinded by their rituals and their idea of who the Messiah should have been. They bring that up, still didn't get it. And they said, well, just give us this bread. This bread that they're after is really an exposure of their idols, which they think once I get this one single thing, this manna from heaven, then I'll, then I'll get it all and things in my life will go perfect. But Jesus is like, you're chasing after this wrong bread. You're tasting after something you can taste and feel and smell. But I'm right here. I am the bread of life that your hearts have been longing for that bring true satisfaction in your life. And sadly, the reality of it is, is that most of us at one time or another or will pursue after the same bread that these Jews, Jewish people are chasing after. Not the true bread of Christ, but the bread of sex, the bread of power, the bread of lust, the bread of, of money and wealth the bread of works, the bread of relationships. And you'll just keep hitting the wall because none of those things will ever satisfy you. I'm reminded of the young lady that we met in the park on Thursday. We were doing a Bible study there and a young lady who was just strung out on drugs, pursuing after, lost everything because she thought that her bread was drugs. She thinks her bread is alcohol. She thinks her bread is sex. But it's not bringing satisfaction to her life. And we pleaded with this lady to go to Christ. He is the bread that satisfies. In America, we live in a society spiritually marked by what people call the moralistic therapeutic deism. There are five central tenets of this religious worldview, and, and they are, number one, a God exists who created and ordered the world and just watches over human life on earth, and there is no activity between God and men. A another trait of this is God wants people just to be good, just be nice, be fair to each other, just as the Bible and other world religions teach. Another central idea of this is um, life is just to be all about happiness and, and feel good about yourself. The fourth thing about this worldview is that God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is only needed just to resolve their problems. The last thing about this worldview is that good people... Um, they go to heaven when they die. And this is that Jesus-less belief system. This is American spirituality that has no need 
for a savior, but just has a need to feel good about themselves. That just has a need to chase after what makes me feel good in the moment. And that is the same thing that these Jewish people in Numbers chapter 11 and these Jewish people are questioning Jesus with, give me the thing that will make me feel good right now. I need that thing that tastes good right now. And Jesus is exposing the wickedness of their heart and the idolatry of their heart by saying, listen, that one thing's not going to satisfy you. I am the bread of life. Jesus is saying that I am the satisfying bread of life. To say that he is the bread is really saying that he is the nourishing food that gives lice, life, not lice. That's the little children that spread that. But Jesus, y'all try to do this every week, okay? And then I spend my whole life talking, and so sometimes it jumbles up. Jesus often even uses the word bread when he says, man shall not live by bread alone. And Jesus is saying that I am your source. I am what nourishes you. In the South, we would have said that I'm your soul food. None of y'all know what soul food is. And that's what Jesus is saying right there. It gets really weird because at this point, they're pretty ticked off now. They're like, hmm, Jesus, oh, 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 the bread of life, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Jesus is about to get even more ridiculous. And he says this in verse 53 because it gets really awkward. And so Jesus said to them after all their complaining, wanting signs, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Contrary to what some religious cults have fed us over the past 2,000 years, Jesus is not literally saying, eat flesh, drink blood. That's called cannibalism. And you're nasty if you do that. <laughs> Ain't nobody up in here a vampire. Jesus is not saying this. Many people have taken this as like, so, so in order for you to have salvation, you have to take flesh and blood. That's not what Jesus is saying. So what is the flesh and blood of which Jesus spoke? Clearly, it's this blood and flesh offering. It's, it's the death of Christ that you partake in the death of Christ. And in John's gospel, the shift has gone from come and see. You see that in the first few chapters of John. Remember John the Baptist, he looks over at the crowd and he, said, and he sees Jesus as the Lamb of God. Many of the disciples say, you've got to come and see Jesus. And now the shift has taken from come and see and now into come and receive him. This is so shocking to the Jews and really blasphemous into their world. Because in Leviticus 17, Deuteronomy 12, Deuteronomy 15, it forbids anyone to drink 
blood as if God, for some reason, had to put that in the Bible. So this is really insensitive of Jesus to say this to the people. But he's not again saying, I'm gonna, I want you to drink blood. This isn't what he's saying. He's saying, you must accept the person that I am and accept the death that I'm about to go through. As bread, he nourishes. As blood, he cleanses. That's what he's saying right there. You want to be nourished? You want to be satisfied in life? Receive me. Take me. I'm here. You want life? You want to be cleansed? Then then take my blood. So much offensive. You know, a lot of times we think the church is not to be offensive. And I agree with that. I don't want to be offensive for offensive sake. You know, with my finger, crooked finger at that, like shoved in your face. But sometimes the words of Jesus, they are that. And look what happens because of that. Many of the disciples left. They just couldn't take it. Look at verse 66. After this, many of his disciples turned back and they no longer walked with him. This is one of my favorite verses in scripture. So Jesus said to the 12, those guys, do you want to go as well? Do you want to go away as well? You want to go with them? And Simon Peter answered him and he said, Lord, where where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And just like the people in Israel in Numbers chapter 11, these people were following Jesus because they wanted a sign, they wanted a miracle. But when it got down to the nitty gritty of what Jesus is requiring of all of us to receive and to be cleansed, they just couldn't take it. That's the cost of following Christ. You come, you receive, and you are cleansed, and you follow. And the thousands, they just couldn't take this message, and so they just left. That's not what we wanted, Jesus. We wanted you to be our bellhop. We wanted you to give us this physical substance so that we could taste and smell and breathe in. And now you're asking us to receive you as equal to God? And we expect to believe that you are going to be the one who cleanses us from the sins and it's not going to be our works? And that message for them was too heavy. And they they walked away. Because Jesus is addressing the heart of the matter. Do you want satisfaction? Isn't that it? Isn't that the question of life? Isn't that what we all are longing for through relationships, through our jobs, through life? We just want to be satisfied. And we place our value, we place all of the expectations on those things to bring us that satisfaction. You know, if I just won the lottery, I'd be satisfied. Amen, I probably would be too. 
But at some point, that just wouldn't be enough. At some point, the relationship is going to have friction. At some point, the job and the people in your job are going to get on your nerves. At some point, your spouse, you're going to look at that person and be like, what was I thinking with you? I would have never said that, and I never will. With your kids, you're going to be like, what is wrong with you? You were supposed to bring satisfaction, said no one ever. And it's meaningless. Jesus is bringing them an offer and the same offer on the table for you. You want satisfaction? Come, I'll bring nourishment and my blood will cleanse you. I had two questions that I thought about when I was reading this. And, and so when I, when I think about bread, it, doesn't the question of, are you hungry, come to play? I was really banking on that popcorn to stop park, uh, popping, but it hasn't, to really kind of hit this thing home. But it, isn't that really the question that Jesus is asking? He's talking about bread. He's asking a question, are you really hungry? Are you hungry? Are you hungry for me? Eating is completely necessary. And you just can't come. You just can't look and admire the bread on the table unless you have like a gluten issue. And then you're just tortured by the idea that there's bread on the table. But Jesus got some gluten-free bread that he doesn't want you just to look at and he doesn't want you just to smell and he doesn't want you just to kind of admire. Look at God. No. He wants you to have an appetite, a hunger to dive into who he is. Are you hungry for more of Jesus? Are we hungry as a church? It's an aching of the heart. It's when you feel like your abdominals are attached to your spinal cord. That's hunger. Are you hungry that you would just take it as soon as you see it? And that the, another question I have, because he brings this into light when he's talking about the bread and then the blood, is Jesus the bread of life broken to you? Now, here's what I mean by that, but does your life reveal it? right? Does your life reveal, do you really believe that the good life is only found in Christ? Do you honestly believe that Jesus is the one who brings satisfaction? If Jesus is the bread of life, then we must turn from all of the ways of the world. We must turn from the distractions. We must turn from what culture is telling you is acceptable and will bring satisfaction in your life. You, you, you go through um, a bookstore, if you still do that kind of thing, and you, you see like all of the self-help magazines that say, hey, if you, you, can, you can have the best sex of your life just to do these things and this will bring satisfaction. You could do these three moves in five minutes and it'll give you the best six-pack abs of your life right now. And that will bring you satisfaction is what the world is telling you. But do you truly believe that Jesus is the one that brings satisfaction in your life? And Jesus comes down to these people, rocks their world, 
changes their thinking on this stuff a little bit. Tells them you're looking for something that cannot and will not and was never meant to satisfy you. But I am the bread, the nourishing, satisfying bread of life. And that offer is here for you this morning. Come to Christ. Come and feast and hunger for more of him because he is the bread of life. I want us to pray this morning and I want that invitation on the table for you. You've been pursuing and chasing after the wrong things thinking that's going to bring you that satisfaction. And my friend, I just want to tell you, I'm guilty of that too. In fact, I still find myself doing that. For however many years, I mean, almost birthed on the altar. I've been following God for a long time, and I still find myself thinking that maybe it's the created that'll bring satisfaction, when when actually it's the creator. And I want to invite you to follow after him. For you who have been believers also and are believers, maybe this is an opportunity for you to repent and see, man, I've been chasing some things that I shouldn't have been chasing. And I want to chase after God. I want to hunger for more of him.